Very good morning to all of us. Good morning. Grateful yet again to the Lord for the opportunity to stand before us and proclaim uh, the good news of our Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, before we get into the business of the morning, preaching business, may I just uh, invite us to turn to the Lord in prayer. Lord, we again rejoice in the privilege to just come before you this morning, the privilege to gather together as your people, that we may lift our hearts to thee, that we may voice out our praises in honor and praise of you, the great and awesome God. Thankful, O Lord, that um, this is possible because you have deemed it so. And so, at this moment, as we uh, quieten our hearts and our spirits and turn to the scriptures, we pray, dear Lord, that you will uh, speak, that we will hear you speak. Pray for myself, Lord, that you will grant me clarity of thought and, and speech. That, Lord, uh, uh, your people will hear what it is that you want them to hear uh, this morning. So we crave your presence, we crave your leading, as we commend ourselves to your guidance and to your goodness. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. But just uh, to mention that uh, um, in the next uh, couple of weeks, we will have a sort of short focus um, uh, on the person and the offices of the Lord Jesus Christ. And um, uh, our prayer and um, our hope is that um, this biblical focus on our Savior will be uh, refreshing, will be uh, re-energizing to our faith uh, for those of us that are children of God, um, but also that um, it will open the minds of those that are outside the kingdom of God to the extent that uh, the Lord himself will be gracious and merciful uh, to draw them unto himself. And so uh, uh, this morning, uh, we begin by looking at the Messiah, Jesus the Messiah, and uh, our launch text, I'm calling it uh, our launch text, um, is from John and chapter 1, verse 41, uh, read together with John, chapter 20, verse 30 to 31. Again, uh, calling it 
a launch text because uh, dealing with some of these subjects requires not necessarily uh, sticking to one particular text and exposing it, but rather uh, looking at several other passages. And uh, there are many, uh, many passages that talk about the Messiah, and uh, we will not obviously look at all of them, but we will look at a number of them. So John in chapter 1 and verse number uh, 41, beginning, if I can begin reading from uh, verse number 40, uh, one of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. The text dealing with uh, the first disciples of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 41, the first, he first found his own brother Simon and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which is translated the Christ. We have found the Messiah, which is translated the Christ. And if we read John chapter 20 and verses 30 to 31, and John wrapping up, as it were, uh, the, the gospel uh, uh, says this and truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples which are not written in this book but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ or Jesus is the Messiah I'm sure some of, the, some of your translations read the Messiah instead of the Christ. To believe that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ or Messiah, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. Now, the, the term Messiah is a term or title of the Lord Jesus Christ in the New Testament mentioned several times and we talk about not only the Messiah or we hear or we read about not only the Lord Jesus Christ being referred to as the Messiah but also the Christ and those two examples are good examples of those terms sort of uh, used in the same way or interchangeably. Now, it's, it's very important to, to mention from the on, onset, and we will sort of try to link the Old Testament aspect of the Messiah and then zero in onto the New Testament aspect of the Messiah. So it's important to mention that the, the Old Testament uh, predicts the coming of the Messiah. And what we have in the Old Testament are 
what are known as the four shadows or the types of the Messiah. The uh, pointers, the pointers to the Messiah. And so we have, uh, for example, uh, Moses and Joshua as types of Christ. Okay, look at their work. It's sort of pointing to what the Lord Jesus Christ did for us. And, and then we have, on the other hand, the animal sacrifice and the blood made by the priests on behalf of the children of Israel. Again, those were foreshadows or were pointers to the sacrifice, the priesthood of the Messiah. And so we have, therefore, Messiah anticipated, looked forward to, as it were, in the Old Testament, and we have the Messiah fulfilled, or the arrival, or the coming of the Messiah in the New Testament. The term, as we have noted, Christ, and uh, when we read and say Jesus Christ, we are not uh, talking about the names as we have them in, uh, in our families, okay? Chewe uh, Kambole, and we're saying the surname is Kambole, the first name is Chewe. It's not necessarily what we mean or what is meant when we say Jesus Christ. Christ is a Greek translation of the word Messiah. And that is why we have read in John uh, chapter 1 when uh, 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 Andrew finds his brother Simon, he says to him, we have found the Messiah and the translator, at least uh, uh, in, my, in, in my, my, my Bible, uh, uh, gives us uh, uh, a bit more information about that particular title and says, which is translated, the Christ. So a Greek term or a Greek translation for the Hebrew word Messiah. And further to that, it's also important to notice that the Hebrew term Messiah is rooted in the verb. That's just a bit of study done. A bit of uh, rooted in the verb that means to to spread a liquid over. And uh, that liquid in the Jewish tradition, a religious tradition. As basically oil, and uh, and uh, I want to believe that uh, I didn't read much about this, but it must be olive oil. So it's a vape meaning to spread liquid or to spread oil over or on something or someone. Okay, and it's important again. Uh, as we particularly refer to the context of the Old Testament setup, 
we're talking about spreading over something, spreading oil over something, or spreading oil over someone. In other words, and to put it perhaps in a term that we are familiar with nowadays and in a New Testament setup or language, to anoint someone or something. So Messiah is simply referring to the anointed object or the anointed someone. Okay, Messiah simply the anointed someone or the anointed object or something. <coughs> but further to that, it's a term symbolizing setting apart. Setting apart something or setting apart somebody for sacred responsibility. And we have mentioned the setting apart of something in the new in the Old Testament we read about the tabernacle and the altar being anointed with oil. Okay, and uh, we can read about that in Exodus in chapter 29, 36 to 37. We turn to that. And uh, also Exodus chapter 40, verse 9 to 11, where we read about the anointing of the tabernacle, the anointing of the altar and various objects in the temple, setting them apart, as it were, as sacred objects for God. But with regard to the spreading of oil or the anointing on or of people, we, we read about many people in God's theocratic kingdom, and uh, we're talking about the kingdom of Israel, uh, to be uh, simple, uh, people that were anointed or set apart for sacred spiritual duty. And the people thus sprayed with oil, or the people thus anointed, can be referred to as messiahs. Okay, now, now remember we have defined um, uh, the term messiah as the anointed one. We are saying that there are many people in the Old Testament that were anointed, and we can refer to them as messiahs with a small m as we differentiate them uh, later on with the Lord Jesus Christ who is the messiah with a capital M. And so we have therefore many messiahs. And among these messiahs we have the, the kings Kings anointed to rule over God's people, to govern over the children of Israel. We have the examples of David and, 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 and Saul being anointed as kings of, or over the children of Israel. We also have priests, priests anointed as it were to intercede 
and mediate with regards to, again, the kingdom of Israel. These had a special privilege of approaching God, speaking to God, and acting on behalf of the people. And we have uh, the priesthood, therefore, of Aaron, the priesthood of Levite, as examples of people anointed to be priests. And we have prophets anointed, as it were, to proclaim God's truth, to receive divine revelation and uh, pass it on to God's people. And so we read in the scriptures, uh, thus says the Lord, and then a pronouncement by the prophet is done. So all these messiahs, so to speak, were consecrated or set apart to some unique service to God. But I want to, uh, as we try to uh, unpack and, 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 and further appreciate this aspect of Messiah, is focus on uh, three uh, important things uh, concerning the subject of Jesus the Messiah. And we firstly, again, just trying to uh, get a bit more information uh, concerning the Old Testament messiahs or the anointed ones, we would observe that these were divinely selected. And obviously the term divine has uh, the aspect of God selecting or appointing as such individuals. When we turn, for example, to Deuteronomy and uh, um, chapter 17, Deuteronomy chapter 17, verse 14 uh, to 15. The Bible reads, When you come to the land which the Lord your God is giving you, and possess it and dwell in it, and say, I will set a king over me like all the nations that are around me, you shall surely set a king over you whom the Lord your God chooses. Okay? And again, we... Uh, very specific that there's instruction to the theocratic kingdom or the kingdom of Israel that God, as it were, set up for himself. You shall surely set a king over you whom the Lord your God chooses. Selected by God. When we read concerning uh, David, for example, in 1 Samuel verse 16, we uh, told about uh, uh, a story about um, uh, a number of, uh, of his brothers uh, coming before the prophets to be anointed as king, and all of them come, and, uh, and the prophet says, no, it's not this one. Until David comes, 
and the prophet anoints David because he is divinely chosen and divinely selected by the Lord God himself. Then we have also the priests being divinely selected. And again, we, uh, if you can to Deuteronomy and chapter 18 and verse number 5, we read uh, this uh, uh, from the scriptures. For the Lord your God has chosen him. Okay, uh, talking about the priest uh, of the tribe of Levi. The Lord your God has chosen him out of all your tribes to stand to minister in the name of the Lord, him and his sons forever. So we're talking about Levi and his children, divinely selected by the Lord. And in a sense, uh, Hebrews chapter 5 verse 1 uh, uh, refers to uh, this kind of selection, divinely selected by the Lord himself. So we can also talk, see from a few scriptures in Numbers that the, the Aaronic priesthood was also divinely appointed by God. Prophets were selected by God. And we can, again, uh, uh, if we were to turn to Jeremiah, for example, Jeremiah chapter 1, verse number four to five, we read this concerning uh, Jeremiah the prophet. Jeremiah 1 and verse five, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. I ordained you a prophet to the nations. Okay, before I formed you, you in the womb, I knew you before you were born. I sanctified you, I ordained you a prophet to the nations. So we have that divine appointment of these anointed ones of the Lord, as it were, these messiahs of the Lord. But furthermore, these messiahs, Old Testament messiahs as it were, were given divine authority. David would say in 2 Samuel verse 23 and verse 2, the Spirit of the Lord speaks by me, his word is on my tongue. That obviously speaks of the authority that he was endowed with by the Lord God himself. The priests had authority to mediate, to act, and to adjudicate on behalf of God, Almighty God. And uh, we had a glimpse of that uh, in Deuteronomy and chapter 17. And we know that the prophets spoke for God with authority. And if I can just uh, pick uh, on this particular aspect, again from Jeremiah, where we just read, Jeremiah and chapter 1, verses 9 to 10, Behold, or rather 
verse 9, the Lord put forth his hand and touched my mouth and the Lord said to me, behold, I put my words in your mouth. See, I have this day set you over the nations and over the kingdoms to root out and to pull down, to destroy and to throw down, to build and to plant. That speaks not only of authority, but also a service that Jeremiah and indeed other prophets were empowered with. So apart from divine, uh, divine selection and divine authority, they were empowered divinely uh, for service. What we're saying is that these messiahs, these anointed ones, had these characteristics. Chosen divinely, had divine authority, and were empowered, as it were, divinely for service to God and service on behalf of the Lord's people. When we come to the New Testament, we have uh, this wonderful picture of the Messiah, the anointed one in the New Testament. And in a sense, we have uh, similarities, some similarities of this Messiah with a capital M and the messiahs with a small m in the Old Testament. And we read, for example, concerning this messiah being chosen of God and sent by God in John chapter 17 and verse 3. Bible reads, this is eternal life that they may know that you are the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you sent. This is a, a priestly prayer by the Lord himself indicating that uh, he did not come on his own to do the work of the Lord but he was chosen and sent by God himself. But further to that is the fact that the Lord Jesus Christ bore or was granted divine authority. Again, if we read uh, just again that scripture from John chapter 17, verse 1 to 2. Earlier verse is talking about uh, being chosen and sent or being selected and sent. Verse number two, and you have given him authority over all flesh that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. So granted divine authority and this in, the, in this particular instance, in this particular scripture, authority to give eternal life to as many as you have given. 
But as we shall, as we shall notice, he's also got authority to rule over his people and over the entire world. But further, we observe that the Lord was empowered for ministry by God the Holy Spirit. And we can look at what happened during his baptism, the Spirit of God descending upon him, empowering him for service, and uh, later on, as we see him going forth, we see him going forth in power, enabled by the Holy Spirit to do great and mighty works as he went about with his ministry here on earth. But as we look at these two anointed anointed uh, 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 categories of people, the anointed, anointed ones in the Old Testament and the anointed one in the New Testament, I think that it is important to, to look at the contrast. We have mentioned some similarities, but there are great contrasts between these anointed ones or the messiahs of the Old Testament and the messiah or the anointed one in the New Testament. We have mentioned earlier that the anointed ones were foreshadows. They were types of the Messiah. They were, as it were, pointing to their Christ, to their Messiah. And that is why in the New Testament language, as we particularly read from John chapter 1 and verse number 42, we read about the disciples as it were discovering the Messiah. And in John 20 verse 31, we have read that the miracles that John would refer to, the few that he would refer to, were recorded that we may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the consummate, comprehensive, anointed one who sums up all what other Old Testament anointed ones could be. So in other words, all that we see in these anointed ones in the Old Testament is summed up in this one, the anointed one. And in the Lord Jesus Christ, therefore, with reference to the examples of the kings and priests and prophets that we have alluded to, we see in him the perfect king, we see him the perfect priest, we see him the perfect prophet. Now, uh, these are offices that will be dealt with in uh, a bit more detail uh, in the next couple of weeks. Okay? So it's not my intention to 
dwell into each one of them with uh, a lot of detail, but I will uh, look at uh, those aspects very briefly as we proceed before we, uh, we come to the end of our time together. But what we are saying is that all of these three uh, spiritually powerful offices of priest, king, and prophet come together in this one person. In him, in the Messiah, is the perfection of all what I call the messianic characteristics that we have noticed from the Old Testament. No wonder Andrew would exclaim as he meets his brother, we have found the Messiah, who is also the Son of God. And I'm saying that we have uh, the perfection of these offices in this one Messiah, and as perfect king, he rules and governs over his people powerfully and sovereignly. We have this scripture in Luke chapter 1, verse 32, alluding to uh, this uh, kingship. And Luke writes that he shall be great. Luke's, Luke 1, 32 and 33. He shall be great and shall be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David, and he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. Of his kingdom there shall be no end. And ultimately, because he is a perfect king, every knee shall bow, in heaven and on earth to the glory of the Father as we read about that in Philippians chapter 2 and verse 10. And so he rules over his people but also he rules over the universe. And uh, in a sense the, the scripture that we have as uh, the, the great commission has this aspect of the kingship of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. All authority has been given unto me in heaven and on earth. He is the perfect king. And as the perfect priest, he, he mediates, and we will talk just uh, briefly a bit more, on the aspect of mediation. He mediates between sinful man and God and brings before God a perfect sacrifice to satisfy the requirements of God on our behalf. And when we read his perfect priesthood in Hebrews, we notice that he is both the mediator priest, okay, mediator priest, the priest that mediates on our behalf, and also the sacrifice, the sacrifice that goes to the cross 
and is punished on our behalf in that we we can have righteousness and eternal life uh, through that once and for all sacrifice. But he is also the perfect prophet, the most perfect revelation of God. He represents God and speaks for God on our behalf. And I think uh, if I can just uh, maybe read Hebrews chapter 1 to this effect as we see this aspect of uh, the uh, the aspect of him being uh, the perfect prophet the perfect revelation of God as it were and the one that comes to us as the perfect word of God uh, through him. God who at various times and in various ways spoke in times past to the fathers by the prophets has in these last days spoken to us by his son whom he has appointed heir of all things through whom also he made the words the worlds, rather, who being the brightness of his glory, the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself paged out our sins and sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become so much better than the angels, as he has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. In various ways in times past spoke, but now he speaks by the Son. Prophet reveals God and brings God's word to his people. Like I mentioned earlier, what we must importantly note is that all messianic offices are mediating offices. Okay? When we talk about these anointed ones that we have referred to, they were, in a sense, mediators. A mediator is simply someone who, as it were, attempts to... to, 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 to to, to make people in conflict come to an agreement, uh, some kind of uh, uh, a go-between. Or preferably maybe a peacemaker. And Christ stands as the one great mediator between man and God. Mediating in his different Persons and offices. Most importantly, mediating the reconciliation between God and us. Sin hinders us from approaching and having a relationship with God. And because of that, the sinner 
needs an appropriate mediator. The sinner needs God. And Christ comes in as the one who mediates between a sinful man and the holy God. He fulfills or perfectly fulfills this particular role as mediator. The many messiahs in the Old Testament could not be called savior, could not be called redeemer, but this one fits as savior, fits as redeemer, fits as Lord. He comes as the Messiah, the anointed one, the son of God, Jesus, the savior who saves his people from their sins. And as mediator, he guides the destiny of individuals and nations. We have talked about his authority and his kingship over his people. So he guides the destiny of individuals and nations. He, contr he controls the life of the world and makes it obedient to his redemptive purposes and furthermore protects his church against many dangers to which the church is exposed to. And this mediatorship will last until victory over the enemies of his people is complete. Well, how then do we relate all this to ourselves? What really should be our response to this Messiah who is, as it were, far above the Old Testament messiahs? Christian friend, I want to simply say this, that may we, may we be ever grateful for the work of the Messiah that has brought the change that we have experienced in our lives, the spiritual change that has taken place in our lives is as a result of this Messiah. This Messiah revealed God to us. At the right time, he, as it were, made us realize the folly of chasing after vanity. He, as it were, at the right time, when we were hopeless and helpless in our sins, made us see the need, the need to cry to God. After being convicted of our sins, cry to God for forgiveness and salvation. He is the priest that not only represents us or represented us before God, but continues to represent us before God. 
perfect sacrifice that took our place, stood in our place of sin, exchanging our sin with his righteousness, making us acceptable before God. The anointed one that transformed us from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of heaven. Now he reigns in our lives, guiding and helping us to do that which honors and pleases him and our God. We have cause to rejoice and continually be exceedingly glad for such grace that has been shown upon us. But to my non-Christian friend, my prayer, my hope, is that your ears and your heart be opened. Opened to heed the, the prophetic warnings of the Messiah. These warnings are very clear. And maybe if you are here this morning, you may have heard these warnings over and over again. Among these warnings are these that the soul that sins will surely die. Continue in your sins, you will surely die. Perish in your sins. Taken into hell. Gnash your teeth forever and forever in the pain of fire. The warnings are very clear. The wages of sin is death. I pray that your eyes will be opened to see this Messiah as one set apart to bring you into God's kingdom. And may you gaze upon him as the perfect sacrifice, a sacrifice that has taken your place your sinful place, graciously offered righteousness and eternal life to you. And all oh, that you may confess your sin, see him pleading your cause as it were, pleading with you that you may turn to him. May you look to him, accept him as your Lord and Savior. Surrender yourself to his kingship. I would assure you that he is willing to graciously receive you and make you as part of his own. Oh, that the Lord may help someone to do that this morning. And heed to the warnings of the Messiah. May the Lord add a blessing to these few things. Amen. Thank you very much for your attention.